right, Maple Leafs continue their march towards the playoffs as the number one seed in the North Division. Hopefully everybody staying healthy, although Justin Hall took a puck to the face, which looked painful. He's not going to play tonight against the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, yesterday was a nightmare from that aspect. It was terrifying. They're like, Hall is – Sheldon Keefe said he's bloody, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and he was no why he didn't – It's just his face. Didn't practice. Yeah. But then Matthews took one off the leg in practice. Jack yeah, Campbell left so. early. There were real moments of panic from practice yesterday. Seems fine. Seems like everybody's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, Toronto Maple Leafs trade for Nick Foligno. Don't lose any games. Just saying. You can shove your Taylor Hall things in a sack and throw them into who cares land because I don't care if he scores fancy goals. The Leafs are going to win because they go get winners. Yes, they do. Uh, speaking of winners, Justin Bourne joins us on a Monday. Uh, like he does every Monday, I think. Are you there, Bourne? I'm here. I'm here, yep. How do you think things are going to go wrong for the Leafs? Like, is it in, <laughs> is it, is it in practice where someone gets badly hurt or in a game? No. What things aren't here? going badly. Things yes. are not going badly. I just I love JD today. Buddy, I've been doing this the entire time, and then every time they lose, my Twitter mentions and my DMs on Instagram are polluted with, why did you say the Leafs are good? Because now they're going to lose. And I get it because I have the same deeply entrenched scars that a lot of other Leafs fans have, right? Although I really do hate when I hear from Leafs fans who are like 21, 22 years old about how much it sucked to be a Leaf fan. I'm like, uh-uh. No, no, no. Don't, 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 don't you do that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> Your life has been incredible. Ennis and I did this kid's podcast. He was like 13 years old, and that's, yeah. ju- that's the thing that happens now. Um, and he was like, yeah, my life's been pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah, it has been. And I was joking about how he should be – I hope that he becomes the version of the Toronto sports fan that was the Patriots kid, the Boston yes, kid who has yeah. the sign with the, the titles. All the yeah. Right. Like, the Blue Jays are hot. The Leafs look good. They yeah. could definitely win. The Raptors already have a title under this kid's belt. He doesn't know suffering. He's lived a great life. All I've ever known is pain. So, <laughs> yeah, I need this. And I'm being optimistic about it because the Leafs are good. And the North Division, I don't think the North is trash. But it's just that they're so much better than these teams. And I, I, I keep going... This is just the biggest piece of evidence that the North, they should steamroll them, is I think that I'm on phase 468 of deciding who is the team that I'm most quote-unquote afraid of. And I guess I have it now as Edmonton one, that Edmonton is sure. like, where, who do you guys least want to face? Well, they're going to beat Winnipeg the Habs right in four now. games. Yeah, it, it's obviously not Winnipeg or Montreal, so you're left with yeah. one team, and that's right. Edmonton. It's the, the team with the it one is, guy who could put up seven goals in a game. Yeah, it, it is, though. It, unprecedented in the history of hockey, I think, where you're looking at one of three potential playoff matchups and really none of them should. Like Edmonton has Mike Smith and no defense. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, like all the problems the Leafs have faced in playoffs in the past have been like, oh, you know, these bruising teams, smothering teams, defensive teams. And then they're going to throw the Oilers at you. If you can't hit that softball out of the park, well then, you know, you deserve all the punchlines you get at that point. Yes, absolutely do. And that's the part that I guess scares me is if they lose, there's just no excuse and no. you're terrified. But, yeah, do you guys want to – do you want to guess how many minutes a night uh, Tyson Berry plays for the Edmonton Oilers? Oh, it's 20-plus. Yeah, it is. 20, it's, yeah. it's almost 22 minutes a night. So yeah. 
I, I, <laughs> killing it with them, though. He's he got the most points among any player that changed teams this season. No, I know, I know. The there's some <laughs> analytics guy who's like, do you know how good Tyson Berry is? Know, he's amazing. He's, he's like the he reason. could have. It could be yeah. like him and Connor McDavid <laughs> neck and neck, yeah, I know. looking at the hundred point season. I'd be like, and That's I'd be fine. so thrilled. Have I'd be your so Tyson thrilled. <laughs> Honestly, it's almost like he's such good friends with Bieber that yeah. he went to the Oilers knowing that they could place the Leafs in a playoff round with the North Division. Was like, man, Austin Matthews is going to play me for like 20 minutes a night. Isn't that cool? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. I wonder. <laughs> it's going to be wonder, really good. In the history of sports, some rich person has ever made that happen. Like, sign with that team. Go be oh, terrible. Yeah. I will pay you on the side. Oh, I think we did it. The Bieber history? has fixed the season for the Leafs. No. You think that in the history of sports that yeah. hasn't happened? Uh, buddy, yeah, it's happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, the White Sox, you yeah, think and, someone yeah. went to a team intending to be bad for a big yes. paycheck? Oh, I love well, it. But we know, not in modern history, like not in now in 19, times. But 19, yeah, the White yeah. Sox were like, we'll be as bad as you want. Give us all right. the money. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, do you not know about that? <laughs> the Black Sox? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no, I'd yeah. be like a person. Like Dave went yeah. to a different team. He's like, sure, I'll go suck for that team. I'll yeah, sign as a um, UFA there. I, uh, why not? You know, why not? Uh, I've, there's got to be somebody. There's, <laughs> yeah, Tanner Roark did it. Oh, my God. Tanner Roark. Man, what do you think he's going to do with all that money? I want to know. He should have to build, like, a hospital here or something, or, like, a wing. <laughs> Give some money back to Toronto. That's the least you could do, Tanner Roark. Okay, so where to begin? Where to begin? Actually, you know what? I'm Maybe gonna he start can eliminate Austin one of the vowels in his name so we can just say Rourke or Rourke. I'm just... <laughs> yeah, I, I like Tanner Rourke. Yeah, Tanner <laughs> Rourke is good. It's better than Tanner Rark. It's just yeah. Tanner Rark is hard to say. It's too much. So, I was texting with Bourne last night because we always, before this segment, talk about, hey, what are we going to do on the show? And I think Sandine is a big story. I think Felino's impact is big. I want to touch on that. Uh, Dermot's playing his right side, and we're getting at least a little bit of a sample, and Bourne's a film guy, so I always want to pick his brain on kind of what he's seeing because I can overlook it in the moment. But Matthews is on a tear right now, and... I, I can't help but feel like it's just it's hard to have conversations about him sometimes because I don't think we take his excellence for granted, but when it comes to narratives and discussions and things we do on this show, like our allotment or I believe a fan's allotment when you have a discussion, it's what? The only conversation you can really have about Matthews is where he ranks among the league's best players. And it seems pretty clear that he's not as valuable as Connor McDavid is, but he's right there in the tier below. I don't get to watch enough Nathan McKinnon. I'll just admit that right now. Like, it's just, it doesn't end up on the docket enough nights. So, I don't know. To me, he's better, but I don't see enough McKinnon. Okay, so that's the debate. I guess I kind of like doing the Matthews debate a little bit with McDavid more and push it because it's like the only way to really exemplify how good Matthews is is by comparing him to the game's best player. But I, I was realizing last night in texting with Bourne about trying to find ways to talk about his season is it's fun to do all the discussions about who's going to be the winger on the second line, who's going to be centering the third line. Do you scratch Alex Kerfoot? Uh, do you scratch Zach Bogosian? Which goaltender gets the net if it's a back-to-back in the postseason? But ultimately, the thing that drives this team more than anything else is Austin Matthews. And weirdly enough, because it is this market, 
I don't feel as though Penguins fans, when they had Sidney Crosby, when they were trying to go win a Stanley Cup, like it was always about Sid and what Sid's going to do. When the Capitals were trying to win with Ovechkin, and maybe this is the more appropriate comparison, it was never about Braden Holtby. Like that was a secondary narrative. The first narrative was always whether Ovechkin can do it. And I wonder if the Leafs don't win this year that this becomes now the time where we start looking at Matthews differently and actually start focusing the intention on the guy who drives the bus the most for this team, Bourne. Yeah, well, it's it's wild because, like, the three of us have built the good show on the backs of backup goaltender talk. Like, Oh, yeah. It, it's always like, okay, everyone knows about Matthews and Marner, so what can we talk about that's a little bit more uh, nuanced or, fl- or going to be moving? Like, we couldn't just say every week that, like, hey, Matthews is good. Did you guys notice that? Um, I like the Chris Farley bit, the remember. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But but yeah. the point is that that does get lost. I totally agree that like we it is taken for that's what greatness is when you take it for granted that it's going to be great so you don't have to think about it. Like it's not like ah oh, man if that guy shows up we're going to be good or if this happens it's just like okay Matthews is so exceptional he's going to score goals and I don't know what the the prime year of his career will be. But I think when you look statistically at the the goal scoring arc for Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux mm-hmm. or the greatest of all time, it's now. Today. Yeah, I think it is I think it is now. Yeah. yeah he's twenty three. He's twenty three. Uh, and it's I think, just absurd right now. Go ahead. Yeah. Then. No, I was gonna say well I was gonna weigh in on the Matthews McDavid thing in that yeah, obviously he's not more valuable valuable, but that's just because the Oilers are stinkier, they're way worse. Like the numbers with McDavid off the ice, they're an abominable hockey team. But you can parse through the five on five numbers and Matthews is a lot closer than the total points would suggest. Like there's eighteen points separating the two in, in power play points and the Leafs power play has been not mm. near the level of the Oilers this season. But the other thing is when you talk about I just narrative- do believe that you would like if you had to if you had to had to today mm-hmm. go which guy is better you would still say McDavid you would but the you reason would. why I like doing the debate and why I like bringing it up and even trolling Oilers, Oilers fans is that that's what I truly feel is that they're way closer than mm-hmm. the McDavid camp will ever acknowledge that it's those true. fans of, hey, McDavid's the best player on the planet, sure. But Matthews is closer than it, it gets credit for by serious people. And a lot of people are afraid to say that. Like, truly, because hockey media is so weird where if you oh, have a take like that, people push oh, back and goodness. flame you and you go, what? Like, Better as if that would ever happen in the NBA or ever happen in the NFL, even with quarterbacks. Like, it's just... I like doing that because it's really one of the only ways we can really exemplify Austin Matthews' greatness, which is immense. Yeah, but to your point about the narratives that will come off this team at the end of whatever postseason Mm -hmm. run they have, if it doesn't result in a Stanley Cup and the the fingers being pointed directly at Austin Matthews, I think that's right. But Mm -hmm. I think what we can also say Mm -hmm. is that he has performed. I mean, he had six points. That's not what the point I was trying to make. Okay, so what what are you saying? The point I was trying to make, I guess it's kind of parsing, but is that... I do think he is not exempt from blame this year. Like, obviously, if he doesn't score any goals in the postseason, people are going to go, what the hell, Austin Matthews, what happened to you? My point is more that if the Leafs do not win this year, it starts to become more about Austin Matthews and the runway he has with this team and the amount of time that he has to do it. That, like, the Leafs are one of the only teams that has a great player, right? We all agree that Austin Matthews is a great player, where the great player is not really the primary focus of whether or not they win or not in the same way as other great players have been. If you look at 
the Oilers, we all say, if the Oilers win, it's not because Mike Smith. We say it's because Connor McDavid drove them there. With Sidney Crosby's Penguins, it was, these are Sidney Crosby's Penguins. They are Alex Ovechkin's Capitals, right? I'm saying that the identity of the team is that player. Yes, the identity is Austin Matthews, but the narrative identity for why the Leafs could win a Stanley Cup usually still starts with, well, if they get depth scoring. Or yeah. L, if they get really good goaltending and team they can defense. get right, like team yeah, defense team de- and and the Nick Foligno types, yeah. yeah. And in this year, it will be like if they pull through, it'll be grit, and it'll be that they got right. tougher, and it'll be that they got veteran leadership and voices in the room, and you know, it, and you know, I think the overall point that we're all agreeing upon here is that all that stuff is so wildly secondary. Like, mm-hmm. it's a 0.5% improvement, maybe, when you add Joe Thornton instead of adding the next fourth-line guy who's going to play 11 right. minutes, or whatever the number is. But it all exists because of what Matthews is and does. And it's just, you know, I can't remember a player where you just, like, when he shoots, when he has the puck, I feel more likely like it's going in than not. Like, Steph Curry shooting a three, even though I don't know what his actual percentage, make percentage is, 44%, I have no idea. But it's like, you assume it's going in more than half the time, even though maybe that's not factually accurate. You just assume it's going to go in when he shoots. It's insanity. But the rest of it, building this team and with team defense and Nick Felinos and the Zach Hymans of the world, it's it's to set the table for Matthews. It's like mm-hmm. it's to eliminate the sloppy-looking goals, and then you're still top-heavy when it comes to scoring, like not like a line and a half. And I know Tavares has been better recently, and Galchenyuk scores on Saturday. Yada yada yada. It's all about that top line looking somewhere close to the way it's looked through almost 50 games this season. And that's that's the point I was going to make is that. He has performed in the postseason, right? Like that's you, you. There's no narrative surrounding him that he hasn't been up to the challenge, even against these stout defensive teams. Like he scored, he had six points in the five games against that Columbus Blue Jackets team that allowed nothing. He had five goals in the seven game series against mm-hmm. the Bruins in in 2019. If you if you have improved your team defense, if oof, you've improved your penalty kill then Matthews just has to do what he's done throughout his entire postseason career. Yeah, and you have to feel good about the matchups. It's uh, Honestly, the debates at the start of the season about this division and whether it's good or bad or whatever, like, uh, who you got right now? Who do you like? It's I can't believe it. The Jets, when healthy, are can be formidable. The Montreal, though, like, I, I'm at a loss for what's going on there. I just truly feel like Toronto has no excuse. This is... You know, it's you still got to beat a good team four times, but there's no excuse for not winning two rounds this year. Yeah, and I will say that Montreal, I can't tell if things are breaking the worst or the best for them. That okay, so we don't know when Carey Price is going to come back necessarily or how that's going to work out, but mm-hmm. you should be getting Carey Price back for the playoffs, and that's a pretty significant upgrade. Although Ennis doesn't think so, he thinks Jake Allen should start Game One. He actually brought that I to do. the mic like a serious. I take. do. I want um, him to start Game One. You don't. Yeah. I said I would be doing cartwheels down the street if the Habs decided to do that. I would text every one of my Habs friends, of which there are plenty, and uh, just it would be the greatest day of my life. So, uh, yeah. But they're going to get Gallagher back. They actually get to let Caulfield get his feet wet a little bit. He scores the overtime winner against the Sens, which felt big. I, I, although, yeah. like, the gap between those two teams not being sizable, even with the injuries the Habs have, was a something. 
<laughs> to me. It was like, I'm is just this glad anything? that Cole Caulfield's best year of his life can continue, and we can all just yeah. look at that, the, the, the beacon of somebody enjoying yeah. 2020, 2021. But, but, that's why, <laughs> but that's why people are afraid of saying the Leafs are good in this, in this city, in this fan base, is because they know that if the Leafs blow this one, it's if they blow it in the playoffs, it's worse than losing to the Zamboni guy. Like yeah, way oh worse. God, yeah. Oh, like yeah. this is this is it. You could lose to the Bruins, right? You could lose to the Bruins. You could even lose to Columbus last year and have it be unbelievably disappointing. But remember the blowback against the team last year, where it felt like the world was on fire. You blow it here in either of the first two rounds, and it's going to be a disaster of epic proportions. It's going to be something that we look back on forever and that you say, man, Leafs should have been able to beat the Oilers. You know, that was such a, I can't believe they lost the Oilers. Like you look back on it and it's just bad, bad, bad. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure, but you're right, Ben. The point of if Matthews just stays level, then he's still going to go down as the Leafs greatest playoff performer of all time. (laughs) Like that's where he's at. So feel good about where Austin Matthews is and, it's just, it's funny. He gets lost in the shuffle. And then there's even a case to be made that Marner gets even more lost because he's the setup man. There's, yeah. there's all these things where it's like people, I think, are still a little sour that Mitch Marner pushed this team to the brink with his contract, right? That his contract does matter. If he's, I, I, you'll never be able to get me to not believe that if Mitch Marner took a million dollars less a year that we would be all talking about how everyone loves Mitch Marner all the time. He's and that's the NHL the, in scoring. We would be right. love. You know, what a deal. Who, who says Mitch Marner is their favorite player? Have you ever met a Leafs fan that says Mitch Marner is their favorite player or talked to someone who says Mitch Marner is their favorite player? I, I think under 13 and 14 years old, that's like Maybe. a thing. Maybe. They're like, he looks like us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's our guy. He, does, he represents us. These little things, that's me. I am nine. Yeah. But <laughs> Mitch Marner, for being the guy who's from here is and who's as good as him, if you looked at like popularity to player to talent ratio, it's got to be the lowest in the history of the franchise. But I don't feel like it was that. I feel like he was – you're right. The contract negotiation really soured people. But I yep. do think there's a case if he scores at this rate – like he's got McDavid goals at 5-on-5. Five five. I think he's tied with mm-hmm. McDavid in goals at 5-on-5. Five five. He's got yep. – he's third in the NHL yep. in actual points. He's on a wild tear this season. Statistically, it's one of the best seasons a Maple Leaf has ever had. Era mm-hmm. adjusted, it's better than Sittler. It's better than yep. Gilmore. And we're like, yeah, you're right. He's like backseating it to Matthews and people are still mm-hmm. upset about him getting paid to do it. Yep. Yeah. And he's appropriately paid. You could definitely make the hey, he's appropriately paid. And yet it still just doesn't feel right. It doesn't pass the smell test. And there's a couple of things, right? Like there was a real faction of Nylander versus Marner. And yeah. some we've talked about this before, but it's basically identity politics for sports where people have staked their reputations essentially on Nylander being better than Mitch Marner. And so you can't be gassing up Mitch Marner if you were gassing up uh, William Nylander, and you know, we said it at the time, even last year, that Marner was part of the core and Nylander was not, and there was a lot of people that were furious with that, saying that they're even, they're the same place. It's like, they're not. Marner's worlds apart from Nylander. Like, worlds apart. That's how much better he is than him. And yet, he just, yeah, there's just, there's no credit from really anywhere for Marner, unless he makes a spectacular play, it's kind of in the moment, and then you just kind of move on. It's very strange, and but I, I just, I can't link it to anything other than Matthews is so yeah. dominant and so popular that he gets overlooked because he's in the shadow of a somehow greater player on his line, and two is the contract thing, though. I just, if Marner was making nine million bucks a season, I really do believe that his popularity would be just so much greater. I just do. 
We got to look at like jersey sales. I, who who the most popular Leafs are this season? Got to be Matthews curious. one. Yeah, Matthews one. But like, where's Tavares? Marner's probably this? two. I don't yeah. think Tavares would be up there. Who's buying a Tavares jersey? I don't know. <laughs> Any defenseman? Our old people know. like do. Uh, this is going to be bad to say. I'm going to get hated for this. Here we go. If you're over 30 years old, are you still buying a hockey sweater? Like, well, I feel like you accumulate the hockey sweaters you have in your 20s and teens, and then that's just what you have for your life, and it's over for you. Unless you have a kid and you're showing solidarity with your kid, and that's the reason for it. But, like, a grown person going and buying a sweater this? and not doing it for that reason. Like, if my friend was like, bro, I got a new Austin Matthews jersey, and he's 34 years old, I would go, oh, Okay. I, so our own uh, Sportsnet's own George Russick has a, a theory on this yeah. in that you were allowed to buy a jersey of anyone older yeah. than you. So yeah, right I now, to that. Yeah, I could still go get a, a Joe Thornton or a Jason Spezza. Yeah, you know, would I, you want to? That's what I'm saying. Would you really want to? No, I don't think to? the theory I mean, you're asking water. me? You're asking yeah. me? No. I think, I think I it's think... just that once you turn 32, 30. let's say. You turn no, 32. I was going to say 30. Because like, that yeah. theory is okay in your 20s if you buy a Joe Thornton. If you're 25 and you buy a Joe mm-hmm. Thornton jersey, that's kind of cool, actually. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that. But how yeah, about your you own name 30? bar if you, if you don't get a player no, that's on? that's the worst just, one. How about just a team? How about no name bar? Just a team No, na- no, only... no name bar is oh, the yeah. best way to go if you're yes. an adult, in my opinion. Yes. No, All that's right. legit. That's yeah. the only way to buy and you should But you even should still, the only place you can wa- wear it is to the game itself. Yeah. <laughs> Not to an or, accounting meeting or something? No. Oh, my God. We did, Dude, we, let's just do the thing. We have to do Jersey Day at Rogers every once in a while. We don't have to do it. We don't. It's not compelled. But you're allowed to wear a hockey sweater to work, or it's a way to encourage hockey. When we used to be able to go to the office, and every time I'd see one in somebody in one, I was like, "Oof!" <laughs> like you shouldn't do Wearing that. Wearing the wingtips and yeah. the, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the dress pants, and then the the big like extra extra yeah. large jerseys. Good well, luck. Listen, yeah. we're hurt. We're hurting some people here right now. But I know I'm we going, are, and I, so I'm we gotta stop doing on. this. No, I gotta no. pile on with one more. <laughs> Last one, that we're taking a break and retiring our careers because the people who listen to the show are 100% Jersey people. The, the business kit under the, the, the jersey, like a button-up mm-hmm. under the jersey, you're coming straight from Bay Street after work, mm-hmm. can't happen. It just can't no. happen. Yeah, no, you got you got to bring you got to bring another uh, like Oof. shirt to wear under it or something. Yeah. We're not doing that anymore. By the way, I think player the player T-shirt is fine. Jersey. Yes. Yeah, the jersey in any situation ah. is fine. I don't know why, but it is. A jersey is fine. You wear a jersey to the game, you buy one, it's kind of like, okay, you're going to the game, you're buying a jersey, it's all good. Um, but, yeah, jersey, I don't know why. Uh, just I'm making up arbitrary rules on the fly here that are going <laughs> to offend people. This is really cool. Uh, all right, let's take a break, and then let's talk about how Bourne was wrong in his piece about Sandine. Cool? Cool, cool, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> all right. It's a good show. It's what's if I'm not a fan. So, one of my buddy's ex-girlfriends brought us to a cottage once, and it was in Muskoka, and the place is beautiful. He never should have blown it with her, <laughs> really, really bad one. But her dad was this really cool guy, and he was very well off, and 
he told me, hey, you got a baby face like me. And I said, yeah, cool. You know, I'm going to look young forever. He said, yeah, but when you get older, it's harder to get people's respect when you have a baby face. And that stuck with me because it was this accomplished guy who had a baby face. And Stewie just made a meme where my face is literally on a baby and it fits. And now I'm feeling bad about myself. So thanks, Stewie. Thank you for and just flaring up all of my... The, the, the solution for you could and should be grow a, a, some facial hair, but you can't do can't. that, so that's a problem. Well, I can, but it looks it makes me look bad. It makes me I'm, look really bad. I have a similar baby face, but I can grow a beard. Mm. Your baby face is starting to look a little weathered. I'm just gonna say. I also think <laughs> I also think JD people will give you a longer <laughs> runway in development, you know, because they're like, well, he's still just a kid, you know, yeah, like uh, that's you true. know. Yeah, if you suck, no. like, they'll be like, like if you look like me and you suck, they're like, he's already no. over the hill and it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> we got to cut bait. I guess you that's know? true. But I have had many times at work where I've tried to either pitch something or have a pretty serious conversation with someone. And I do feel like I don't get taken as seriously because of my face. Maybe it's because my personality <laughs> pairs with that face. Yeah, but... It. You guys both know I'm very passionate about this work. I got a lot of ideas. I think about it a lot yeah. outside of the space. And a lot of no times joke. I feel like I get met by people going tap, tap on my head. Oh, thanks, oh, little guy. Tell the, like, the wait, other what? kids at daycare about your No, no joke. Right. You would greatly benefit from some stubble. It would. You yeah. should do like the Wayne Rooney, yeah. but for your face, like the hair plugs yeah. or whatever it is. Or the glasses. Yeah. Like I, I think you should lean into wearing mm. the glasses. The glasses age you a bit too. Mm. Yeah, not enough, though. Um, okay, so speaking of aging into something, Rasmus Sandin is already, in my opinion, mm, one of the best Leafs for defensemen. Like, I don't know what the case would be that he's not. Uh, like, <laughs> he's really good. And these games are – he's playing a lifeless Canucks team where they're just – like that performance they had the other night was about as – I, we don't care about this game and we're exhausted and we want to go home as you'll ever see. But mm -hmm. the skill set that he has is apparent. It's just, it's undeniable. One, his playmaking is beautiful. It's incredible. I, I really do believe that he's the best option for the power play this very moment, in this heart, in this second. He's not the skater Morgan Riley is, but I, I need Bourne to confirm things for me. It seems like he's in position better than Morgan Riley is oftentimes in defensive zone. Like when I watch Morgan Riley, one of my most frustrating things is not that he makes poor decisions in the other end or that he jumps up in the rush too more. Cause it's like, that's part of Morgan Riley's game. It's that he seems to lose his man a lot of times in the defensive zone. And it just feels like he's not covering somebody enough. Rasmus Sandin's out here at 21 years old or whatever. And he's just laying the body. He's boxing guys out. Like he's in front of the net. He's fearless. He's, he snaps the puck around. I just, I'm such a Sandine guy. And Bourne, I know you wrote this the other day, but you said that you would predict Sandine is out of the lineup for game one, which I think is totally an acceptable take because, yeah, they want to ride with the guys who have got them here. And this is assuming Bogosian is ready to play, right? I just don't think you can do that now. I, I really do believe that the stretch he's putting together, if he continues this down the last few games, what are there, seven left? Six left? Yeah, something like that. Whatever. If he finishes the way that he's been playing these last couple of games, I just I have no idea how you take him out and say we're putting the best team forward for a must-win season. Five. five. Here's, here's the tough part for me is that, like, you worry about Sandine. So he's 
the Canucks are a quad A team, is what I'm building towards. They're quad A. Like, you know, they, they, you talk about the players who are not quite NHL, not quite AHL. It's like this is the perfect team for Sandine to look amazing against. They don't forecheck overly hard. There's breakdowns. Like, it's the perfect team for a guy like Sandine who is trying to find his way and find his feet back into the game. And he did everything he possibly could against that team. And he probably will be just fine. It just... I, I don't want to get too high on his performance so far just because the Canucks are who they are. Um, but yeah, he's been awesome. The The thing I'll say about Riley and Sandine and kind of their differences. So Sandine is, everyone praises his brain. Like he is, there's not really brain farts. He's just, he makes the smart, simple play. You know, I remember a lot of the cr- criticism when it was him or Lilligren in the early days was that Lilligren can make all the plays, but, you know, always wanted to make the difficult one. Yep. Sedin is okay with making the easy play. And so sometimes you don't notice him. Love that about him. Um, I'm with you on the power play. I actually think he probably is their best option. If there were no name bars and no reputations and no contracts, I think he's probably the, the best guy for you there. I still think that there are going to be just some some difficulties that, that come with lack of experience of not having been in the big moments and been you know with the same partner and it's just a lot to ask of this guy to to plug him in. But I, I am with you. Like it's tough to watch him be that good and and say you don't want him in the lineup. So I just think based on what they've rolled with this far, it's still tough to say that he's going to overtake one of these guys. But if they love him. You know, maybe he comes in in game two. Maybe he does knock. If the guy, if he's going to knock anyone out, it's going to be Dermot, not Bogosian. So right. maybe he's ahead of Dermot at this point already. I don't know. Okay, so the theory is that the Leafs are going to lose Dermot to Seattle, and yeah. he'll be their selection. And Dermot's had a good season, and I like Dermot, but from what I've seen, Sandine is the better of the two. And if he is your top option on the power play and we come to a consensus that a unit that has struggled could greatly benefit from having a defenseman out there that is even 2% better, let's say, than Morgan Riley, I feel like that's such an important unit that if you're telling – if we're just sitting down in the meeting, right? We're all just here like, what are we going to do? How are we going to cut it? If you come to me and you say, well, experience, like he doesn't have those reps in the playoffs, I would just say, well – He's going to need him next year because he's one of our most important players moving forward. We might lose the other guy. He's better than the other guy. Like, Travis Dermott, it's really, really hard to see a future where he's on this Leafs team unless they do the trade Morgan Riley idea that I have. But it's still very difficult to imagine the Leafs do that when they're in a competitive window. So, like, gaining experience, better player, plays on one of your most important units... And the case is that he's like two years younger and Travis Dermott has had some tough reps in the play. Like, I, I just don't see it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for it if, if I'm sitting around the table and trying to find the pushback here. Yeah, like a, Travis Dermott is excellent in like puck battles and, mm-hmm. you know, he, he really is good at, at cutting off rushes before they start in the neutral yep. zone. Like, he's, a, he's, a, he's good. He's a, he's a good third pair guy. So it... I guess it's tough. It depends where you sit on the value of experience. And I think the Leafs have shown that they have come to value experience more than they had previously based on who they acquired in the pat in this past season. Um, and and I, it's just hard for me to see them going away from that, from that. I do think they love that they are being put in this position and there's still a case. I still think it's like tryout time here. Like if Sandin's awesome for five straight games, awfully tough to keep him out of that lineup. So I don't think it's decided even in their minds yet. Well, and the pressure was on him right away to produce right away, to do what he's done 
um, mm. because now they do they do have options. They're not great with Ben Hunt, but they do have somebody there with Zach Bogosian out, and that he's been thrown first of all right into the fire, and then what was it? His second game, they rest everybody, and he's playing 20 plus minutes alongside mm. TJ Brody, and maybe his best game of the season. I get it. Yeah, you're right against the Canucks. And uh, of course, the coach is going to gush about the rookie basically in that spot and sure. say he was incredible because he deserves it. Like he treats that a little differently than. Night in, night out, he's not going to talk about Morgan Riley the same way. But it just exactly. I did find it to be notable that he went to that. Like, Sheldon Keefe doesn't really gush about guys all the time. Let's just say that, right? Like, we can all agree yeah. that Sheldon Keefe's not exactly Mr. Feelings. No, he's not. That's yeah. very accurate. I also saw Sheldon Keefe took a pretty good swipe at uh, Nick Felino the other day. I didn't notice that. The, uh, the pass he made in on Matthew's goal where he knocked it out of the air it was a bad forced pass into the middle. And, you know, Sheldon, Sheldon Keefe's not afraid to, to let you know. So, uh, you know, part of that might be... Out of it. Yeah, part of that might be gassing up uh, Sandine too, getting his confidence high. But, like, we had Sandine on our show on Friday. And, like, it's crazy just... I, it's crazy to imagine being as confident as yep. some of these young, talented guys, like just knowing how bad I am at everything. And maybe that's why I'm not as confident in everything. But like this kid you just being like at so yeah. many things. And like he, yeah. he didn't play hockey for like a year. And I was like, did you worry, you know, your confidence falter about like, you know, was it ever going to come for you? He's like, no, I just put on weight and I knew I'd be fine. It's like, what? How did you not panic? I'd have been in absolute disarray. But no, he feels very good about his game. Keep gassing him up. He's, he's, I don't worry about his confidence level. Well, and he's already kind of one of the guys. Like he seems to be friends with Nylander and guys respect his game and the Leafs room is a good room I just it doesn't feel like that we we, do, we used to do this bit basically a long time ago on the show about how one of the benefits of being a younger team is when you do need to phase in younger guys that it's easier for them to get acclimated quickly but like I don't get the sense from Sandine that he is in that dressing room and guys don't just embrace him as one of the team or that he doesn't feel as though one of the team like he already acts like a guy that has been there for quite some time. He, I, I feel as though he feels as though he belongs, and that resonates from the rest of the group. And so when we're talking about the experience stuff, I, I just some guys have it, and he's one of those guys that I believe has it, where you drop him in that first playoff game, and it's not going to make him react that much differently. Like, that's what clutch is, right? This is what we talk about being clutch, and I sort of feel as though this guy's already proving that he's clutch with his maturity and his inability to ever seem shaken what when has Sandine ever looked shaken yeah no that's that that, that really ties into the confidence uh, conversation he never does and I we've we've lost the word clutch analytics people killed it and it's a real thing and it's very important and he does have that sort of element to his game those those oh I hate I hate having last lost clutch I loved it yeah, clutch is great. The no, we've reclaimed clutch, by the way. We did. It's back. We've rec- well, we reclaimed it the last couple of years. Good. Ben and I do it on the show all the time. And again, mm-hmm. it's not that hard to understand. No one's trying to say that guys get into the playoffs and then they're way better or that those are not aberrations. But there are just certain guys where it's like if you can maintain – Austin Matthews is clutch. If you look at these mm-hmm. last Leafs seasons, like when he gets in the playoffs, he performs the same as in the regular season. He's as well, dominant. I- and he gets in his first NHL game and scores four right. goals. And he gets in the right. Winter Classic and scores the OT winner. Like, yes. he's a guy who has that gene. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say what Sandine has done already has been clutch. Because, like yes. I said, he had a short runway to prove himself ready for the postseason, to throw himself in the mix. And he was given a little bit. 
and then he was given more, and then he was given more, and he was given more, and he was given more, and he's just taken every opportunity and absolutely run with it. And we've done, we did the thing numerous times about Travis Dermott playing on on the right side next to, to Morgan Riley, right? And we tried to force our brains into that, and, and maybe he can be, he can play like that Justin Hall style probably next to Jake Muzzin because almost anyone can play next to Jake Muzzin, especially if uh, you're a defensive type defenseman like Dermot mm-hmm. is. But the idea of of him being an upside top four defenseman is not there where you can absolutely see the path for Sandine. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, uh, you never know where, where to cede the, the spot to that guy. And is it now you hate to have him have some like learning experience moments in the playoffs. It's like, this is not the time for it. This is not the year for Sandine to ha- you know, for that to happen. And it could, but they have a real decision on their hands. I don't know. I'm, I don't know where I lean. I honestly don't. I, I lean play Sandine. But I will acknowledge that there's a couple things. One is that as sports fans, we always like the new thing, right? There's always the new shiny toy and that Mm. the new shiny thing is always going to get more than the old tired thing because it's just – it's easier to talk about. It's funner to watch. There's there's like a whole bunch of reasons, right? Right, and it's the same reason why we were pushing for Nick Robertson to be in the top six despite, you know, being 19 or 20 years old and having played one significant NHL game with the Leafs. So, yeah, um, I get that. There's also the, hey, don't mess with success, and the Leafs' defense has not been a problem, and Travis Dermott has never been a problem, and Zach Bogosian has not been a problem. It's just, it's tough for me when I look at it and say, man, this guy just looks better. He's just, he pops every night. And I know I'm looking for him, so there's an element of confirmation bias, but they never put Travis Dermott up with TJ Brody and said, hey, have a run of 20 minutes. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a reason for that because he's better than him. Like, that, they're never going to put Zach Bogosian up there and say, you're going to get 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, so even in a meaningless game against a team that isn't playing at their very best, the fact that you would give that guy that leash and that he would check all those boxes for you just has to tell me that he's not one of your he's not your seventh best defenseman. He's in your top four right now. Like honestly, um this is gonna this this I'm a believer. I like Justin Hall. I think he's fine. Um I think we really, 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 really overrated him. And again, this yes, is how contracts matter. But are you really going to tell me that we think Justin Hall is a better defenseman right now than Rasmus Sandin? Like, if the shoe is on the other foot, if he got to play next to Jake Muzzin, like, I have, we keep waiting to do this one segment, Most Underrated Leaf, and we'll do it. We've been planning on doing it for weeks now, and we're not going to get to fit it in now, but I'll just tease it. It's like, yeah, it's the guy who no one ever talks about who can elevate any defensive partner, including Zaitsev. Like, I don't know. I, I just think that Rasmus Sandin right now has, has shown a lot of signs that there's at least a good shot. He's one of the Leafs' best four defensemen, and you just can't take that out of your lineup. But you're going to play Hall. You, Hall of course. You know, no, no, no. Of course. Like, Hall is, no, 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 is no, no, the no. better defenseman right now for me just in terms of what you want these guys to do. Yes, like, sure. Go play your 20 minutes and shut guys down. You know, They've matched Hall up against Connor McDavid with success. I don't want to put Sandin in that role. However, no. the role you would use Sandin in um, is a different one than him. So... Um, yeah, I, I I still think I'm hedging Dermot personally for just based on you know experience and puck battle and all that kind of stuff. But man, it's uh, it's it's he's making it harder, and that's what Sandine's job was was to make it hard on the decision makers. So quickly, we'll wrap up this conversation with this: Travis Dermot on his offside has looked like what to you? Because the only case for to me keeping him in the lineup would be that he looks better than Bogosian on the right side. 
Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> you know, it's he's it's fine to me. You know, I, I haven't really noticed him one way or the other where I've said something has happened based on handedness that he was either he excelled at or was unprepared for. You know, sometimes the hockey game just doesn't give you enough situations to really evaluate yet. So I hope he gets some more run at it because it's quite possible that in playoffs they're they're going to need him there. Okay, so now moving to Nick Felino, you said uh, the Sheldon Keefe comment, which I missed too, and I usually try to track all that stuff, but. Nick Foligno, your impression so far? I I think he's great. He's been great. You know, I thought he's looked better as he's gone on here, Um, particularly just with his skating. Like, he's got more energy here, you know, after he got a game off, like a little bit more pop in his step, and and he's able to to do the things that make him – Hyman-like. Let's make sure we get that specified as like, not Hyman. But, you know, like, and able to get in the forecheck and he helped create a goal for the Leafs. I, I just think there's there's a, a lot to make you excited about the things that he can do for this team. You know, one thing that Sheldon Keefe mentioned um, in one of his post-game interviews is that he's, he's not actually concerned about the penalty kill, despite it being 26th in terms of percentage. And I think they look at a lot of other things other than raw percentage. Um, and he's liked a lot of them. But you know, right now, when with everyone healthy, that fourth spot on the PK among forwards is probably Felino or, you know, Ry- or Kerfoot, Riley Nash, someone like that. And so, having having options beyond four guys on PK is something that I feel good about for the Leafs for the first time this season. You know, seeing how he operates in there. Earlier in the season, I thought their PK just like uh, is Engvall going to be out there all the time? I don't like him. It's penalty killing. You got to be really smart. Got to be lanes quick, react, read plays. I don't love Engvall doing that kind of stuff. So being able to put in a guy like Felino, I feel very good about his spot on the team. And hopefully, uh, you know, they find a comfortable home for him once Hyman takes his spot back with Matthews and Marner. Ben, do you have a Felino thought? Otherwise, I'm going to follow up on Felino. Well, I do want to see him next to Tavares and Nylander. Like, I want to see him in other places in the lineup because, as we know, uh, my dog can play on that top line and not ruin it, right? Um, and he did right. not the, he hasn't been bad or anything, but I do want to see him in a place that I think he's more likely to end up when the playoffs start because Hyman's going right back to that top line. And if he looks good there, like maybe you are looking at a scenario where Galchenyuk's out of the lineup if, if, if Riley Nash is healthy enough to play in the postseason. I think that's the problem, is that there's only one spot for Galchenyuk now, and that's beside those two guys. Mm-hmm. So if you move Felino there and he looks better, you maybe make your team worse by removing him and having the lineup shuffle around, right? Like, that's what I keep thinking, too, is why they wouldn't look at that spot. I think that was the original idea behind playing Galchenyuk there. I've said this all along, that he was a placeholder for the left winger they were going to go get. But we know that Sheldon Keefe has wanted to have a defensive third line all season long. From the outset, that was a goal of theirs. And now I just keep thinking that Felino is going to shift down to the third line. They're going to have either Kerfoot in that center spot or if Riley Nash can come in and take that spot, with Mikheyev and that though any combination of three of those four guys is going to give Sheldon Keefe exactly what he wants. So what happens to Simmons? I he's on the he's on the fourth line and you're going to put either Spezza or Thornton down the middle and you're going to have a fourth line that is the vet line. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's easy to drop lineups that don't have Galchenyuk in it once they're healthy like you know, you go Hyman, Matthews, Marner. Let's say, let's say Felino sticks with Tavares and Nylander on that on that left side. Then you can roll out Mikheyev, Kerfoot, Simmons, Thornton, Nash, and Spezza. 
You know, and Nash is a guy who he shut down the the Leafs in Columbus. He shut down the Leafs uh, in Boston. Like this is a guy who does the things that they've wanted someone in their lineup to do. So Galchenyuk is the opposite of that. He's not going to play defense, and in fact, is going to do it kind of poorly. But he's going to create offense and do a lot of the things that we feel the Leafs have plenty of. So you know, in terms of versatility, things got get real tough for him to stay in. You know, if he pours it on down the next five games and makes it impossible for them to take him out, you know, I guess Nash is out and you shuffle things around. But uh, right now it's easy to see him out. And by the way, I think he's played well. He works super hard and he's, you know, I see an NHL team watching these games and going, oh man, we're going to give him a million bucks for two years, mm-hmm. you know, a million bucks per season for two years or something. I, I could see that. Continue. Right, but I, I just don't see how it works with this lineup fully healthy. Yeah. Um, I don't mind them leaving it as is, but that's the main issue I have with Galchenyuk and have all, all along, which is that if I want my top line to play 20 minutes, I don't want Galchenyuk to play 20 minutes. Right, and, so, and you're going to be going just, against a great line that you have to like mm-hmm. battle through and create, and right. it's, like, it's a lot of minutes for a guy who can't stick with a lot of teams and you know make a near-league minimum here. I know, and... I've never been a huge proponent of the defensive line. I just, that's, it's just, it's to me, if Sheldon Keefe hasn't put them together already and he's not going to down the stretch here, then I believe that's a pretty good indicator that he want he's got something else up his sleeve, which is he still wants to go back to that defensive line. That the theory that he had at the outset of the season, which is a group that can take defensive zone draws and be on the ice for as much as the Tavares line for whatever reason, like that splitting up the minutes between three lines rather than two and then having the, each one be like the 10-minute third and fourth line, that he's just bought into that theory and he really wants to have it. Because I just I have a hard time seeing how, let's say Hyman comes back and there's a game left in the season where they stack the top two lines, right? And they put Galchenyuk out of the lineup and move somebody else to the left wing and do the thing. And, and, and I will say we, we're probably doing too much with Riley Nash like involving him in too many discussions. Uh, I don't see it happening unless somebody stinks. Like unless Galchenyuk come, is, really slows down and Nash looks incredible in practice or something along those lines breaks his way, I, I find it very difficult to believe that when this team is healthy that he cracks the lineup. Like we just outlined a scenario where Simmons has to come out or uh, – Kerfoot has to come out or Galchenyuk has to come out and it's it's a lot of belief for a guy who has not played in a very very long time that's all it just it feels like we put his name onto lineups far too frequently for what yeah. is actually there and how about how wild this is that we're having all these conversations and last season we were talking about where Nick Robertson fits in. Where, right. where When does Nick Robertson get in? You're talking about Galchenyuk or Nash. What about Adam Brooks? Who's got, no, played very well. What about Pierre Engvall who's making $1.25 no. million and played most Engvall's of the season? Gone. <laughs> yeah, Engvall I mean, is gone. Yeah, here's the coach has legitimately not had a kind word to say about the guy for the entire season. Could not they have just, less patience with him. Right. They went out and got Felino, who is taking his role on the penalty kill and doing it better. It was a huge point of emphasis for this team. There's no spot for him. Uh, yeah, if, if we're by talking way, about this is like, what this is what cup winning teams look like. Players. By the way, yeah. sorry to yeah. interrupt, but this is what cu- yeah. cup winning teams look like. Where you, three rounds in, Pierre Engvall gets in and scores scores Joel, what's his name, Yoel Kiviranta goals. Where you're like, oh yeah, that guy's actually pretty good. He's been sitting in the press box. That's what happens mm-hmm. for these teams. So sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no, I think he's a he's an NHL player, right? He's a NHL yes. player. Engvall is. He's just not 
a fit for this team. They want to be harder to play against. They want to be a tough out in the playoffs. They're trying to prepare themselves to play teams that really can slow the game down. Like if they get into a series with a Boston or a Carolina, like something along those lines, they want to be better prepared for that this season. That's definitely one of the points of emphasis, and you're not that with Pierre Engvall. So you... Yeah, if he's in the lineup, it's because some bad stuff has happened because I think he's behind Brooks now, too. Like, I I do. I just... Yeah, no, I I mean, Brooks has just made this case that, like, he's going to do the right things, and if you give him a chance, he'll he'll be able to score. You know, like, he'll be able to... Yes, he's coming out. But, like, it's nice having this guy who's got in and you feel good that you can put him in and, you know, he'll be able to contribute something. You know, I don't think he's going to move the needle, but if he doesn't hurt you, you're okay with having that on your fourth line for 11 minutes or something. Yeah, depth is good, and having good players in the press box is a good thing and uh, yes. one that uh, this team hasn't been able to do the last couple of years. Borny, great stuff as always, buddy. Talk All soon. right, gentlemen. Talk to you next See ya.